Hey, Dee, Vernal Equinoxes today, Monday, March the 20th, 524 Eastern Time. PM. Yes, I, I should set an alarm. Um, yeah. Is that why it was down in the teens yesterday or day before yesterday for both of us? Oh, it was horrible. My little pansies and violas, they are going to be fine, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all my daffodils were lying on their sides. Yeah. But they're starting to pop back up. They won't be quite the same. Oh, and my magnolia, Jane, you know, my beautiful deciduous magnolia, it was all in bloom. Not anymore. It's all brown now. Oh, well, it's the way it goes. So at 524, which would be 424 for you, are you going to try to balance an egg? Like they do on the vernal equinox? Uh, Probably not. I guess I could try it when little bits a bit older. Yeah, because a a fun party trick, I guess. I guess. Hey, we also need to give a shout out to our friend Oak Grow Garden on IG. Yes. Oh, my goodness. She promotes, they all, the whole Tulsa Herb Society uh, promotes our podcast all over Tulsa, which I so appreciate. Um, But I just think her, IG is really pretty. She had some very pretty pansies on there last week. She did. So I sent them to you. Shall we get started? We shall. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. The garden is about an acre and a half in size on a seven and a half acre plot of land. It's still bigger than mine. (laughs) We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. And you have in here that we're going to talk about our texting. Yeah, this to give a sample of the kind of texting back and forth. So I'm sitting there eating my breakfast. I get this text from you. A yes. lovely poem. Do you want to read the poem? Yes, I've got to find where we texted it to each other first. But yes, I would love to read the poem because we text almost constantly. So, <laughs> okay, here it is. She wore her yellow sunbonnet. She wore her greenest gown. She turned to the south wind and curtsied up and down. She turned to the sunlight and shook her yellow head and whispered to her neighbor, winter is dead. And that is from Daffodown Dilly by A.A. Milne, courtesy of the Queen's English, which is a page on our community on Facebook. And so then what did you say back? I said, love, and then I wrote a little, the next stanza of the poem. Yes. Then winter slowly turned back around and asked, what did you say? Then blew the daffodil an icy kiss that sent her to the ground. But the sun came out and the daffodil stood tall and winter knew its time was up at least until the fall. (laughs) I love it. That's one of your best poems. It is. It is. It, I, I might have to write a whole blog post around that lovely poem. Yeah, it was. I think A.A. A. Milne would be really proud of you. So with that in mind, tell me about what you're doing in your garden. It's quite long and so is mine. You know, it's long, but it's not long. So the best day last week for gardening was Thursday, even though it was chilly. 
And I was kind of grumbling because I had to go volunteer at the children's garden at this park where we have our garden club meetings. That's Mm -hmm. how we pay the rental. So met a couple of other garden club members there. And it turned out to be a delightful morning. Was not all that cold once you got moving. So that was most of the gardening that I did last week was at the children's garden at the park. Community service. Community service. Actually, it was just, hey, this is how we pay for the rental of the space. But anyway, it's a nice garden and the kids like it. Then St. Patrick's Day was Friday. And for the first time in many, many years, I did not sow peas. I I thought about it for about two seconds and I thought, it is too cold. I'm not even going to take the temperature of the soil because I'm getting to be that old lady gardener. It's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, not yet. I didn't think about that when I planted pansies and violas a few weeks ago, but when it came to the peas, I'm like, mm, not yet. So, but on Sunday, oh gosh, it was so cold yesterday morning, but I went to the very last day of the Indiana Flower and Patio Show and I saw the cutest display where they had brought in this great big old delivery van. I mean, it had no engine in it and set this up as a display with plants and they had like a little potting shed inside. I put it on Instagram. Oh, cute as can be. I saw it. Very cute. But it's for a new garden center. It's opening up near downtown Indianapolis, which I, pro- I probably won't ever get there. I mean, I'll have to make a special trip. It's- oh, well, you know, you could make a special trip. Although you have your own garden center who just grows things for you. You just say, hey, I'd like to buy this. Will you grow these seeds? And they go, sure. I They don't actually grow things for me, but they grow the things I want to buy. Is that is that not the same thing? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> They have similar taste to me, I guess. And I like all the flowers she grows. You specifically go in there sometimes and go, why don't you grow X? And then suddenly X shows up. But I digress. Keep going. So I, I found another lady who has a do-it-yourself terrarium party thing she does. And it looked way fun. I thought, oh, I wonder if the Garden Club would like to have a DIY terrarium party. I think you should totally do that. That would be very fun. Yeah. And, you know, they do... Kids parties, adults, baby showers, wedding showers. They do all kinds of groups. But I got home. The sun was shining. It was still cold as the Dickens. But the first little species tulips were blooming. So that is all good. Violas and pansies Mm -hmm. are toughing it out. And let me look at my temperature. It's 40 degrees. So they are probably, uh, if not happy, at least relieved. And then I did prick out the snapdragons and pansy or petunias and potted those up. And that was my week. I mean, I didn't feel like I did much gardening, but compared to the average person, I probably did a lot more. I think you did quite a bit. Yeah. It just didn't seem like it, right? Because you really want to be out there. Yes. And it's it's a little too early. It's cold. So it's cold. you had a big week. I did. I went to Texas for the first time to see the blue bonnets. I have seen blue bonnets in Texas before when I went to Houston because my friend Cherie Colburn took me to see some that were in a parking lot because they don't naturally want to grow in Houston usually. I'll tell you where you can find really good blue bonnets, at least as of last week. That was Brenham, Texas. We went to Brenham, Texas and Here's a hint to anybody who wants to go see wildflowers anywhere. Go to the Chamber of Commerce and ask the ladies there or gentlemen, ask them where the best viewing is. You know where the best viewing for Blue Bonnets was in Brenham, Texas? Um, Oh, now I want to guess. Okay. By the city dump. Close enough. 
behind the Walmart. Oh, parking lot. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm trashing Walmart. That's not nice. Um. Anyway, I'm not really anti Walmart. Um. It's just it's just an odd place. There's this big field behind the Walmart, and I went out there, and there were so many people looking at them. But it looks like in my pictures that it's just Bill and me on a roadside, but I'm actually in a Walmart parking lot. Now, later, I did take a bunch on a, on a roadside on our way to Fredericksburg. But um, the other great place to take them was at the school. In front of the school, they had planted them. So they were there were just tons of them. Saw a lot of Indian paintbrush, um, saw some yellow. And one person that goes, what is that yellow flower in, on my Instagram? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know because yellow wildflowers, yellow daisy-like wildflowers, there's 40 million of them. Exactly. So I was like, I don't know what the exact cultivar is. Um, and I explained. And then I put a bunch of pictures on Instagram and Facebook if people want to go look. And then I came back and found that most of my plants were really dry in the greenhouse. I had asked Claire to water all my seedlings, not specifically saying, would you also water everything else in there? So she didn't because she's very literal. I was going to say, she's a literist. You said seedlings. Uh, The seedlings were well watered. Yes, they were. Everything else dries a bone. So I watered everything and I thinned everything that was that had come up. All my tomatoes are up and growing. Most of my peppers are up and growing. Those little jiffy sea monkeys are great. <laughs> Those little, <laughs> little jiffy discs. We did get a comment on our Substack. I saw that and I, I haven't had time to respond to her just because we've been so busy. I just responded. Oh, good. I'm glad you responded. And then I had planted radish seeds and tat soy seeds outside and they're all up and I'm, I need to thin them today. That's in my garden commission. I didn't, I haven't done lettuce yet. I need to do it or I'm going to be out of time. You are. I feel like I have plenty of time. I don't have plenty of time, but yes, get on with it, D. Get on with it. Here's the really exciting news. The Shirley poppies that I sowed on the um, snow are up and growing. It's time to thin them. And the sweet peas are finally up. Yay. Taking them forever, but they are up. And did you dig? Did I dig? Did you dig down to see? No, I didn't because I was in Texas. I came back yesterday. Well, a day before yesterday, but I looked yesterday and they're all up. So I need to thin them. They're looking good. That's all I got. That's, that's what I've been doing. You know, this whole podcast could be about garden stuff here in a little bit, but we better move on to the quote. Go for it. The oak tree stands noble on the hill, even in cherry blossom time. And that is by a Japanese poet, Basho. So our flower was your idea this week, which I'm kind of excited about because I love them. It's cherry trees and other flowering trees. And so. But mostly cherry trees. Yeah, this is pretty much about cherry trees because of our book. Um, In Japan, you know, they have the cherry blossom festival in February every year, depending on when the cherries bloom. And my best friend, Amy, uh, best non-gardening friend, Amy, uh, she, her son is stationed in Okinawa, one of her sons. And he and his wife went to the Cherry Blossom Festival and they've been sharing pictures of it. I bet it's beautiful. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but the cherry trees. I, I did some research on this and I thought, why, why don't I have a cherry tree in my garden? I don't know. Do you? I do. I actually have two ornamental cherry trees. I have Kwanzaa, which I put in our notes after you had already talked about it. 
I have Kwanzaa. And I got it because of the J.C. Ralston Arboretum. They talked about it and praised it. And it is a beautiful thing. It is not a long, they don't bloom for a long time. No, about a week. Very short period, but it is worth it because the the blooms come out and they hang like little tissue paper lanterns for lack of a better word, because it's a double bloom. Right. That it is the most beautiful thing. And I can see it from my bathroom window. And then I go outside and it's pretty tall. It's taken it started blooming two years ago, and I think those trees are about nine years in my garden. They were little tiny slips, and I had to order them from someplace because at the time you couldn't find them locally. Since then, the last year, Home Depot had them. Go figure. Yeah, and Kwanzaa is the only one. Well, it's one of the few ones I remember from my horticulture classes mm-hmm. back a long time ago. So that tree has been around a long, long time. And it's a famous one. Yes. And when I was at the Flower and Patio Show, there was a guy had a tree booth. I don't even know the name of the company. He had a beautiful cherry tree in full bloom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I forget what he said it was, a Japanese name. And he said, I could have it if I could carry it out of there. Did you? (laughs) The root ball was three feet across and three foot deep. No, no I did not carry it out. (laughs) You wouldn't even be able to budget. He was joking. So... But you did mention most of these are very short-lived trees. They last. They are. They don't live very long. 15 to 25 years, you're doing good. And they are sterile. They are not pollinator plants. Um, They don't produce fruit. Um, Here, weeping cherries were really popular for a few years. They were. I think they look extremely stiff and unhappy in most people's yards. If you really, really want one of any kind of cherry tree, I'd suggest if you're going to grow it here, that you put it on the east side of the house, which is your best side of the house. Mm-hmm. If you're going to grow Kwanzaa, it's very large. It's a big old large tree. Right. Mine are planted too close together, but I don't care because they just are together. They just make one canopy. And um, when I posted the the photos last year of them really blooming, it was extraordinary. Um, Matt Mattis commented, and he said that he had one in his garden for about 25 years, and he had recently cut it down because it it was too big for the space. Over there is very naturalized. So depends on what type you want to grow. And these are not the same thing as pie cherries or bing cherries. These are just for beauty. And I, I feel like the weeping cherry, that's the one that people put on the corner of the house. Yes. And then they tend to prune it in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not pretty. Any weeping plant, just don't don't prune it. Like people do weeping red buds here. Don't don't prune it. Just let it do its thing. I mean, if you have to prune the ends because it gets too long, but it just it's already doing its thing. Exactly. And um so I I can probably take or leave weeping cherries. My sister had one that was really pretty, but after a while it was too big for the space. Mm-hmm. And so I, they cut it out. Upon my advice, they cut it out. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, I wouldn't have one. I can see in a very formal setting, it would work. Yeah. Or if you, for lack of a better way to say, if you're going to have a Japanese style garden. Right. It might work well in there, but you really got to think about what's your overall look that you're going for because a, a weeping cherry can be very complimentary. 
or can stand out like the proverbial sore thumb. Sore thumb. Yeah, it can. I have to say Kwanzaa is beautiful. It's one of the best trees in my garden. It's not a weeping cherry. It's just a big ornamental gorgeousness for about a week, week and a half, and then it's over. In fact, I need to go down there and see if it's blooming. I haven't looked. It usually blooms here in early April. Usually late March, early April. I need to look back at my Instagram and see what time it bloomed last year. Would you go to Japan for the cherry blossom festival? Um, I probably would not just because it's crowded, very, very crowded. And we can talk a little bit about that. That is a big deal in Japan, the cherry blossom festival. A huge deal. They they have a name for it. They they call it um what do they call it? I have it written down here somewhere. Didn't you say Sakura or something? Well, Sakura like is the Japanese word for cherry blossom. Oh, okay. But the going to see them is actually, we'll talk about this more in the dirt, but they call it uh, Hanami, H-A-N-A-M-I, Hanami. And it's it's a big deal. So I I enjoy seeing all the pictures of it. Oh, I do too. The, the thing about planning a trip, and we can talk about this later too, around anything to see it flowering. Like blue bonnets? Yeah. You got to, you could go and say, okay, so you can take off at a moment's notice and drive down to Texas, see blue bonnets. It's lovely. But I can't take off. I mean, I could take off at a moment's notice, drive all the way down to Texas to see them. But if you're going to fly across the ocean to Japan, you kind of want to know that you're hitting it at peak and that peak can move from year to year. Mm-hmm. It can totally move. And Texas is a big state. So where they were blooming more in Brenham, they might be blooming further north now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're still in Brenham, but some places were past their peak. Yeah. So you've got to have people on the ground, wherever you're going to go, that will tell you. And one of the best ways to do that is to go on the various Facebook groups that are devoted to whatever it is that you want to see. Sure. And um, I would say, you know, the locusts singing and the lightning bugs, the, you know, all the different things that are ephemeral. You need to have people in the local area tell you when it's happening. And then you go down there. And then, of course, I got in trouble with two of our friends because because the, I was down there and I didn't tell them I was coming and I left before they could like meet me. And I said, I didn't even think about it, guys. I was totally focused on seeing those flowers. Yeah. And I did. Flowers before people, people. Flowers before people. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea was upset with me. And so was Vicki Blackman. She was like, good Lord, you were like 15 minutes from my house. Uh, Sneak in, sneak out. I didn't even think about it. I didn't think about it. All right. So anything else you want to say about ephemeral? Well, the same thing as I saw a thing from our local bird feed store that the hummingbirds, they're showing the map where the hummingbirds are. They usually arrive right. around here about April 15th. So, um, and then the fall foliage is the other one, you know, foliage watchers. When is, when is peak in Michigan and Indiana and Kentucky and on down South? Missouri, Missouri. Yep. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Same thing. Depending and Vermont, Vermont, you know, the, I read somewhere this past week that it's like two weeks that it's peak for the, and so for the, Fall for their foliage. fall foliage for the maple leaves. Well, in my mind, like, in my mind, Vermont yeah. always has fall foliage. I know that's not true, but you know, when you, it's not true. Certain yeah. states you think of, oh, fall foliage. So I would, ex- I know people in Oklahoma think teepees and tornadoes, which neither one of those very much. We didn't even have most of our native tribes weren't teepee people, but 
that's another day. That's another day. So the last thing I'll say is the cherry trees are they're hardy. Zones five through eight is common. You can find some varieties for four, some varieties for nine. And mm-hmm. I will say that there are different species of cherry trees that are native all around the world. And so here in Indiana, for example, we have the black cherry, which is native. It's the the best of the trees have been long logged out for the furniture making potential. Mm-hmm. I wonder if choke cherry is considered truly a cherry. I don't I know. It is. is it prunus? But it, I don't. It's a prunus. I'm Probably. almost sure it's a prunus. But you know what? I'm going off script. And when I go off script, people write me and go, no, D, that's not right. So let's do the next quote. Okay. Before you go to, well, I am going to leave, leave a link to Garden Design has a really nice uh, write-up on their website for the flowering cherry trees. So I will leave a link to that. Cool. The seed of all song is the farmer's busy hum as he plants his rice. Basho. So we're talking about Japanese vegetables because you wanted to talk about Asian vegetables and we haven't done it in a really long time. We have not. I think you, I think you wanted to talk about it because um, you don't grow them. I don't. Re- well, uh, so edamame, which is immature soybeans. I have grown that in the past. Mm. They are delicious, but the rabbits, rabbits will eat that foliage faster than anything else in the garden. So they're kind of touchy to grow here. Not growing those. Okay, keep going. Well, I'm I'm growing Tokyo Long Bunch onions, and I'm growing those from seed. They actually look really pretty good right now, so I'm kind of excited about those. So there you go. Okay. That's two I've grown. So I'm growing a Japanese turnip shogun. And what makes a turnip Japanese? We we don't have a lot of notes here, so we do need to be careful. <laughs> I have no idea. I just know it says it's a Japanese turnip, and it's named shogun. I may even have the packet here. Keep going, and if I do, I'll come back to it. Well, there's the Japanese radish daikon, I think, D-A-I-K-O-N. Yes. And that one is a very long white radish. Have you have you grown that? I have never grown that, and I don't intend to. I like I like small radishes. I don't like big radishes. I, I feel like this is more of big a radishes. fall radish. This is one that has to grow yeah. a while. I think it is, too. And I think some of this is... Uh, we we would expect that radish to be like the traditional spring radish and it's not. And so if you had the right recipe and the right way of preparing it, you probably would think it was pretty good. We're just ignorant about it. Well, I just don't need to eat. I don't need to grow it. You know, there are things I might eat, but I just don't need to grow them too. Does that make sense? It does. So they have uh shungi ku. I'm totally butchering that, which is edible chrysanthemum leaves. To grow as a green. We talked about that when we talked about chrysanthemums and we were both like, okay. I would think in small quantities. So I looked up shogun turnips real quick, shogun. Um, and it's it just says it's a Japanese turnip variety that produces large white globe turnips. I've had them. They're delicious. I don't know. I'm growing them. You're also growing the Mizuna mustard greens. Aren't you growing those? Well, I got them. As a freebie uh-huh. in my Baker Creek deal. So now you have to grow them. I haven't put them out there, but I guess I will grow them. I mean, why not? I'll grow them. What the heck? I got a little room. And you're gr- so um, there. Th- I don't know anything about them though. Mizuna mustard greens. Um, it's Brassica rapa or rapa. Yeah, 
It's a newly developed Japanese heirloom. Now, how can it be newly developed and a Japanese heirloom at the same time? What they're saying is it's probably newly on the market. They've found this Japanese heirloom. Nutritious purple stems and dark greens make a lovely contrast, and the delicate flavor is unparalleled. Adapted to both extreme heat and cold. Oh, you've got to try those, Dee, because you do like mustard greens. I do. I'm a little burned out on greens, though, Carol. I just, I've had greens a lot. I'm about done. But that's okay. I will grow those just for all of us to see what they do. Yes. And then there's uh, tatsoi, which I am growing. It's up and it's sprouted. It's so funny because I put it, you know, I scattered it after you and I talked and it took a long time to germinate because the soil's been too cold. And I walked out there yesterday and I thought, what the heck is that growing? Because all, all greens or whatever's in that group, in the brassica group, they look the same when the cotyledon come up. Have you noticed? I cotyledon are just about the same. Yes, I have noticed. And so I was like, Good Lord, what is that? And then I went over and looked at my tag and I went, oh, oh yeah, tatsoi. Tatsoi is delicious. You can grow it. You can eat it raw. You can eat it cooked. It's, it's just it's a leafy green, right? It is. It's a, I think it's a mustard, actually. I think you're probably right. And then bok choy is a, I don't know what bok choy is. I mean, I grow it. I've grown the dwarf varieties. I've grown the regular varieties. I like the dwarf ones because they only give it, they only get about six inches tall. Yeah. I've never grown it. Really tender. Um, it's delicious in stir fries. Um, it's good. It's easy to grow. Let's, one thing you can say about all of these, they're pretty darn easy. Yeah. They're pretty darn easy. And again, I will go back to what I said before. If we had the right recipes, we would probably like them better. Then no, don't say we. I grow half of these. Okay. You, you would like them better. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> because I grow, I grow bok choy and I know exactly how to make it. And it's fabulous. It is a very, very good. It's it's also called pak choy and it's a Chinese cabbage. Yes. Yeah. With long stems and little leaves at the end. And what you do is just cut off the end, chop it up, leave the greens aside, stir fry the stems with some sesame oil and oil and a little bit of soy sauce or whatever you want to use for flavoring. And then you put a little bit of sesame seeds back on it, put the leaves back on, all done. It's a very good, it's delicious. I will. And you know what? I'm not growing it this year and I should be because I really like it. Well, there you go. And you, you know, these are things you're not going to walk over to the garden center and they've got little starts or anything. So you do want to buy the seeds. And I found a ton of seeds for Japanese vegetables at True Leaf Market on their website. Because I went and looked and how could I easily find a bunch? There you go. That And that's a good place to buy them. And it's also an affiliate link, which we really appreciate people using. Anyway, they're very easy to grow. The food, they're stout. I, that's one thing I like about Asian greens is they're very stout plants and they don't wither in our heat. Because think about it. Some of them are grown in Vietnam. It's hot there. It is hot there. That is good. That Island. is a good point to make. Hot. It is a good point to make. So. All right. I'm going to do another quote and take us into the bookshelf. Spring is nearly gone. So now this old cherry tree decides to bloom. Busan, another Japanese haiku. And these are almost all haikus, right? Didn't you tell me that? They're all haikus because I'll tell you right now. So when I, I'm holding it up, when I was going through all my books and trying to decide what to keep and what to purge, I found this haiku harvest that I had purchased for like a dollar. It's cute. And um, it's got the actual paper cover. It's from 1962. And it's translations of a ton of Japanese haikus. 
And so I thought, oh, those are actually kind of pretty. I think I'm going to keep that. Are they all about nature? They're oh yeah, yeah. They're all about nature because they're they're from 1962. So you have that little book, which is no longer in print, but maybe you can find it somewhere. Good use copies, sixteen dollars. That's not a cheap for as little as it is. So if you like haikus and you want them about nature, haiku harvest is for you. But that's not really our book this week on the bookshelf. That's what started this. Yes. <laughs> why don't we have why don't we do a bunch of haikus and talk about Japanese horticulture that we don't really know much about? <laughs> because we're learning. Well, the book so, is The Sakura Obsession, the incredible story of the plant hunter who saved Japan's cherry blossom by Nakio Abi. Yeah, close enough. And so Nakio, I think is how she pronounces her name, because I actually listened to the audiobook. Instead so of smart, and uh, I have the library book from the library, and then I had some credits on uh, Libro.fm, I think it's called, where you can buy books. Yes, and so they had it. She originally published it in, in uh, actually in Japan in 2016, and then in England in 2019, where it was called Cherry Ingram, the Englishman who saved Ch- Japan's blossoms, and so. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. So it's kind of the story of a guy named Collingwood Ingram, who got the nickname Cherry, because he's got very into uh, cherry trees. It's also the story of a hundred-year-old eccentric who starts out as an ornithologist. I mean, he has money. He starts out as an ornithologist and then switches to horticulture after World War One, And okay. uh, so he gets involved with the cherries trees over in japan because he had lived a time in australia and anyway long story short he saved the japanese cherry trees from some of them from extinction because the this is the part where you get the whole history of japan and you realize you know like earthquakes civil war uh being an island that was isolated from the western world what happened when the western world culture came to japan um World War II, the atomic bombs, two the of them. atomic bombs. Um, I mean, it's not that big a place. No, but the, I learned history stuff that I didn't really know. And the, the kamikaze right. pilots, she spent quite a bit of time talking about their culture. But the yes. central theme around this is how the cherry blossom played into their culture through all the years. And, you know, during World War II, they cut down so many cherry trees for firewood. And because well, they... They were telling they people, you've got stuff. to grow food, so cut down these cherry trees. Oh, my gosh. And that's where this Collingwood Ingram comes into play because through his contacts in Japan and stuff after World War II, when they started opening back up to the West and rebuilding, he was able to take back a lot of the varieties of cherry trees that they had lost, including some some pretty famous ones. And so did he take them to England where he lived? Yeah, he had he had taken all these cherry trees back to England. Oh, he went. At, he lives at the Grange, or he lived at the Grange. Yes. Um, okay, I get it in Kent County, which I, I've got to think about where Kent County would be. But so he planted them at his home. Yes, he so planted, then people yes. could come back and they could get slips of them too. And usually, yes. most most cherry trees like. Everything else are grafted. Right. So I'm sure they took home grafts. Yes. But he wrote a book in 1948 called Ornamental Cherries, 
And a good used copy of that will set you back over $300. Wow. I think. I bought this through, not that one. I bought the book we're talking about um, through Kindle. And actually, I am going to listen to it on Audible because I'm fascinated. I love cherry trees. I think they're extraordinary. And I think that like Japanese maples, the delicacy and yet how tough they are. Oh, yeah. Right? Because people people think Japanese maples are not tough. Oh, they're very tough trees. They're maple trees. And ja- and cherry trees are tough too. It's just they don't always like the heat. And you have to think about where things are grown. So mm-hmm. Kent must be Kent County must be a cooler part of um England. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly where it is, but he he lived to be a hundred years old. Wow. And I think was they said like up until a week before his death, he was out in his garden every day and they they said he had no formal schooling, you know, because he's a rich young man, and they just it was just different back then. So they talked about how his office and his desk, not his office, his den where he wrote and everything was a big mess, but his garden was immaculate. How interesting! So the Grange is a really interesting place. They now um, provide accommodation services for 25 adults with learning disabilities. Yes. Yes. It is part of a, um, they do more than, I wonder if the garden is still. I think there's somebody, I think they're still tending the garden in some shape or fashion. They talked about that a little bit at the end of the book. I can't remember all the details, but the author, interesting. Um, Naoki Abe is from Japan, but she's London-based journalist now. And so um, she's been a political reporter. And traveled extensively, but she and her husband and her two sons now live in Great Britain, where she's freelances. And she wrote this book. She's written several books in Japanese about different things. But this, I think, is the first book that really, where she she just fell down the Collingwood Ingram cherry blossom hole. And she she yes. did a marvelous job weaving it all together between his life story and the history of Japan and the history of all these cherry trees. So it's, I I thought it was really a fun read, a fun listen. I can't wait to listen to it. A fun Um, listen. They still have the gardens and they have an open gardens day and they had her as a guest speaker in 2021. I would imagine that they would because it put them on the map. Someone named Chris Lane. I don't know who Chris Lane is. I don't either. Um, but they call him, they said um, the gardens were developed by celebrated horticulturist Collingwood Cherry Ingram, and they have an annual open gardens fest every year. Yes. So anyway, a fascinating bit of history. The book opens up, and I'm not a spoiler, with uh, Prince William actually on his first trip to Japan, planting wow. a cherry tree, probably one that had come from Collingwood's garden. And and Collingwood cool. worked extensively with the horticulturalist at Windsor Park, where the Queen and introduced a lot of cherry trees there, and he helped consult on that. So, very very, if you like history and you like gardening, you like cherry trees, bit of a travel log, it's got it all. It just sounds great. It really it does. Is. So that is the Sakura Obsession: The Incredible Story of the Plant Hunter Who Saved Japan's Cherry Blossom by ne- Naoko Abe. Ready for the next quote? I am. It is nice to read news that our spring rain also visited your town, Onitsura. So our dirt 
I want you to go first because, you know. Well, the dirt is, we're just going to provide a couple of links because obviously the place that's famous in the United States for the cherry blossoms is Washington, D.C., where they have a lot of different festivals and parties around that. And you can go out to a place called cherryblossomwatch.com and they'll tell you when peak bloom time is. And according to what I checked on Saturday, it is this coming week, the 22nd through the 25th. And so there's cool. lots of websites. There's lots of YouTube videos. You'll just go down this little rabbit hole. Um, and then, they, they, of course, they have the same in Japan. In Japan, they said it's it's called, like we said earlier, Hanami, H-A-N-A-M-I. Mm-hmm. They have festivals, family gatherings. You can go to YouTube. There's videos. And then you'll see how how crowded some of these locations are. So, but it's a very short time frame. It's it's about a week, maybe eight days. It's not very long. I better go look at my cherry trees. They may they may have already bloomed and I missed it. And if, if you get a big rain or a bunch of wind, then it's over. So they also or a freeze. Yeah, they also this is the beginning of the Japanese school year in spring and the beginning of their fiscal year. So it's sort of a fresh start kind of thing. So we'll include a link to one of the many many sites that feature the Japanese cherry blossoms. Cool. And I sent you a picture of my cherry blossoms. Okay. We probably should use that as our picture on the newsletter. That's what I was kind of thinking. And I think you write it this week, don't you? Yes. And so I will definitely use your picture. Okay. So it's your turn to do another quote. (laughs) Wake up, wake up. Come sleepy butterfly. Please join me on my journey. Basho. Oh, they're sweet. Okay. That one's really good. You know me and butterflies. We should. I should cross stitch cross stitch that on a pillow. <laughs> you should with a butterfly. Um. So my rabbit hole is the blue bonnets, and I did quite a bit of research before I went to Texas and watched all of those sites. When I could have probably just asked my two friends who were mad at me um, when they were blooming, but that's okay. Um. I wanted to share one thing that I learned last year about blue bonnets and it's that they set and grow themselves. You can't get good blue bonnet bloom unless you have good September rain. Ah, I see. And there's, yeah. So they have to have September rain to grow well and then bloom in the spring. And they're not really bothered by cold. They just, they really, but, Okay, so someone asked me as part of the rabbit hole, someone asked me, a lady who was from Texas on Instagram, she said, why can't I grow them in Oklahoma? Well, you can, you can grow them in Oklahoma. Um, They may not work and just don't take it personally. It all depends on what kind of rain we get, whether we have an Arctic cold front. Um, They are never going to look like the blue bonnets in Texas. We do have the right soil for them and much of the state. It's just that their native range is really, I'm going to take a guess, zone eight, but you know, we're zone seven. And we're not going to have Texas blue bonnets in Indiana. No, no, you're not. And another thing about them that I remember reading somewhere, this is not in any of my notes here, but I remember reading it. They're the only lupin, they're lupinus texensis, and they're the only lupin that likes alkaline soil. Huh. Lupins, the ones that grow out west that we always hear about that are amazing out in the mountains, they need acidic soil. So there you go. There you go. And they really, really like the surrounding area of Brenham, Texas. 
And I'm telling you that lupins, Texas blue bonnets, none of them grow very well in my neck of the woods. Right. That you can't grow regular lupins here. No, either. So that's mine. What's yours? So my rabbit hole was obviously that book. I, you know, no kidding. I listened to that entire book and then I'm looking up about my haiku book and I, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this is a very fascinating history. And so I just went down one little rabbit hole after the next. That's where I found some of the links that we're sharing. So I thought that was enough of a rabbit hole. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I feel that way about the blue bonnets. It took a lot of research and such. So what are you going to be doing as your garden commission? Well, um, mine is much shorter than yours. So it is warming up. And I um, today and tomorrow, I think, are going to be pretty nice. I think it's going to start raining on Wednesday for about the next six days. There's chances of rain. But I am hoping, and I'm sure I will, get my peas sown out there. Maybe some lettuce and radishes. We'll see. Um, I'm also going to sow the seeds for the peppers and tomatoes this week. Um, and so I've, I kind of feel like, you know, looking at the forecast, it might be go time out there. We'll see. Yeah, we are past go time here. You need to be in the thick of it getting started if you're working. Don't on panic things. the people from Oklahoma. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I won't panic you. If you have roses, feed them now. Oh, for heaven's sakes, get going, get going, get going. Never mind. Feed them now. Get going. Um, I will be planting the plants I bought in Texas at the Antique Rose Emporium because, yes, I went to it. What? You bought some plants in Texas? I did buy plants in Texas. Because Texas often has things that you can't get here. Oh, yeah. uh, That is a good excuse, Dee, because, you know, the world is small and you can't really get stuff unless you go to Texas. (laughs) You really can't get this one. Did you stop at one of those Bucky's places I hear about that's so famous? No, I didn't stop at Bucky's. It's just a gas station with a big bathroom. Somebody said they were going to bring Bucky's to Indiana. Well, there you go. Then you'll have big fancy bathrooms, I guess. Um, can I talk about my what I'm going to do this week? Yeah, but I just I just had to razz you a little bit because uh, apparently you couldn't leave Texas without buying a couple of roses and what else? I did. I bought I bought Zephyrin Druin, which was the very first rose in my garden here. Well, you should and it have died that. from rose rosette disease. So now you feel bad, don't you? Um, no, it is. For people who, for people who don't know, it is thornless, which really means prickleless, um, technically. And I also bought one called Thomas Affleck, which I just like the color of it. We'll see if I like it. Um, it's considered a pioneer rose, which means it's tough as nails. And let's see, what else did I buy? Oh, I bought two Blue Fortune Augusta Key to replace the ones I lost. And then I found I bought a plant that you can only find in Texas. It's Salvia Farinacea Augusta Dulberg. So I now need to research how Augusta Dulberg is related to Henry. And Augusta Dulberg is white. She blooms silvery white. So, so why can't you only buy it in Texas? It's a Texas native. Oh. And it was found on Augusta's, from my understanding, just reading the sign at Antique Rose Emporium, it was found on Augusta's grave. So that's why it's named after her. But Henry Dulberg is another famous Texas um, salvia that I grow that I actually bought at Bustani a couple of years ago. And I don't know how those, they've got to be related. It's a weird name. And they're probably um, not hardy then, in Indiana, are they? No, because they're All right, move on, move on, move on. <laughs> and kidding. then 
while I was there, I found a new phlox that is a proven winner's phlox that I'm showing to Carol now. And it looks like the one that was at King Charles's. Remember, I found that gorgeous dark fuchsia, uh-huh. which is the which is the color of the year, this dark fuchsia. Um, phlox paniculata. And this one's called Luminary Ultraviolet. I need it. And it's brand new. It I need says, it. Dark magenta flowers. Dark magenta violet flower panicles produced over bright green foliage. Better disease resistance than typical phlox. It's a proven winner's plant. I'm giving two of them a try. I need it. And I'm going to plant those. I need it. You do. You do need it. Because it has the word violet in it. (laughs) Just kidding. Oh, Lord. And that's it. That's all. That's all I got for mine. I'm going to be planting this. All right, then we're going to wrap it up until next week. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others and the algorithm moves us up. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. And if you want to help us, you can use the affiliate links or, and then if you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can do a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or a one-time donation through PayPal. And we appreciate everybody who does. We appreciate those who don't too. We appreciate everybody that listens. <laughs> it helps us break even. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye everybody.